Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah show kicks off this hour. This is the first episode of the Ask Noah show as an independent broadcast. We're delighted to be here. Absolutely thrilled. We have worked all week to make the necessary changes to our website and our streaming infrastructure and all of those things to make sure that you have a seamless experience. Of course, if you did not catch the show live or you're wondering where it is, it's all in one place now. AskNoahShow.com. There you can have an absolutely outstanding, high-quality audio-only stream right from the play button at the top of the page. If you like to see the chat room and you like that video element, we have incorporated that too. Just scroll a little bit further down on the page and there is the traditional uh, streaming player. It's actually the exact same infrastructure that we had back with JB. So that should be a seamless transition for you as well. We also have incorporated a brand new spiffy web chat. So if you want to participate in the chat room and that's been difficult for you to do in the past, no longer is it. You go to asknoshow.com, click on launch the chat client and a little uh, web browser thing will load. I think it looks pretty cool. I'm a big fan of dark theme type stuff. And so you can join the conversation and add your voice. Uh, you don't have to create an account. We don't collect any data, none of that stuff. Later on, as I mentioned before, we are going to roll out a service where you can have a, it's essentially will be an IRC bouncer. So if you're familiar with the Quassel infrastructure, Quassel client, Quassel core, we are going to roll that out for the listeners of the Ask Noah show. It won't cost you anything. We're going to absorb all that cost because it's our way of giving back to you, the community, and uh, you can use it for whatever you want. I mean, obviously we ask you to join our channel and, and participate during the show, but you can use it for, you can use it as an IRC client to join any chat um, yeah, on, on any network. And, uh, and the, the great thing about this system is our servers will keep you connected to your chat client or to the chat servers rather. And so the web-based front end client will just allow you to, uh, to, to look back at what you've missed. So if you're familiar with, uh, there's some IRC cloud service thing that they charge a bunch of money. It's a ripoff. Don't do that. We're going to provide that to you again, as a way to give back to the community. And that's really what I want to talk about this evening. I want to talk about, uh, hello to the chat room, everybody's saying hello, hi guys. I have it right up in front of me, so good to see you, XMN, good to see you, Nailer. I want to talk about the community, and I want to talk about what it is that we as Linux users need to be focused on, need to be doing, because I tell you what, this past week has been a true example of a community effort, being able to work with Chris and the team over at JP to make this handoff. Obviously, a bunch of people in the community have stepped up and said, hey, we know you need some infrastructure, we know you need some help. Can, uh, you know, can we step in? Can we help out? Absolutely. I would love that. And so we've gotten so many cool things that have come about from all of the people that, uh, that have stepped up. And I really think we are sitting better than ever. But one of the people that I wanted to invite on the show is a longtime friend of mine and somebody I deeply, deeply respect. And if you're in the Linux community, you should know his name. Now, some of you probably know him by the name Big Daddy Linux. So Big Daddy Linux, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Noah. How are you? Excellent, sir. Thanks for taking the time to be here. 
I wouldn't miss it for the world. So I guess kind of what I wanted to bring you on for, what I wanted to chat with you about is this idea of community and the Linux community. And what a lot of people don't know is something that you do every single week. And I wanted to start out and kind of talk about that because obviously what this show tries to do is to be the resource that is available to you once a week so that you can ask questions, you can get troubleshooting for free. Man, if I had a, if, if I went through and build all of the hours that I give away here on the air, it would, it would just be astronomical. And, and I give that away for free one hour a week because I want to give back to the community. And you're doing something very simple or similar. But instead of answering questions per se, you just provide an opportunity for like-minded people to just come hang out. Nothing expected of them. Nothing. You don't charge anything. It's just a it's just a community hangout, a place for Linux nerds to come together and chat about Linux. So tell me about that. Well, um, Biddle, as we call it, Big Daddy Linux Live, is a show we do every Saturday night. At we've moved it to nine p.m. Eastern, and it's basically like you said. It's a community that gets together, just a bunch of regular Linux users. Now we have a a vast group of people. So there's there's new users. There's people that haven't used Linux for very long. There are users that uh, are really good with Linux. Um, there are command line junkies, and there are all the way up to a couple of people are devs for distros. So we have a, a great bunch of people, and we get together with no agenda. It's just us getting together every Saturday night on YouTube and just talking. And this is something that you can join in Linux. There's a, you, I, you are you still using the Zoom client? We are, we're still using the Zoom client. And, and so this is a, it's a, it's a free client. You can just download it. And, and I, I assume that you absorb the cost for the, uh, for the paid account thing to connect all of the people. So all they have to do is, is join your meeting ID. Correct. And, and and it's just an opportunity for everybody to, to come together. And I see the chat room is, is talking about starting a, a Linux user group. Well, one of the nice things about what you're doing is it's kind of a Linux user. It's a weekly Linux user group for people that want to hang out at night. Obviously, during the day, there's obviously there's there's unplugged. But, you know, if you if you're like me and you work during the day, um, the weekend may be the only time that you have off. And so Saturday night. You know, that that's a really cool way to spend a Saturday evening. Just fire up the computer, plug in a microphone or a webcam if you want and uh, and join that meeting. And and there's no pressure in it. And and that's the key, because, you know, the Linux community can be great and sometimes it's not always great. And so there's no pressure as far as you don't have to be a certain Linux user to be in the group. Um, it's anybody can join. All I ask is that you keep it family friendly. Yeah, and that's something that you know we're we're big on here as well. Um, you know, it just there's there's really no need for it. And it's funny because I've I've gotten to this discussion with people before, and they say, "Well, people that you know they swear they're more honest." You know, here's the thing that there may be some truth to that. I I don't really know, but here here's what I will tell you. What I will tell you is that I have never ever not once in the entire time that I've been broadcasting ever once gotten an email where somebody said. Hey, I listened to this particular episode or I listened to that particular show and there was a lot of foul language and swearing and stuff like that. And man, that felt like a really honest, straightforward. Ep that, I've never gotten that email. Do you know what email I get? I would say I used I would I would have said I used to get it on a monthly basis. I'd say we're up to a weekly basis now. I get an email that says something to the effect of, hey, I just wanted to let you know the Ask Noah show is one of the most 
comfortable shows for me to put on in my van, to put on in my truck, to put on in my car, because I know I can have my three-year-old, my five-year-old, my seven-year-old, and I can get them introduced into Linux, and I know that you're going to keep the show family-friendly. So, you know, and you're obviously doing the same thing, and people can download this um, virtual hangout and listen to it as if it was a show, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, now, I don't have it in an RSS feed. I don't have it as a MP3 format, but you can obviously download the YouTube video if you'd like. Right. Yes. Okay. So it's not released as a podcast per se, but it's the, you can go stream it online. Correct. After the fact, I mean to say. Yep. And that's the thing that we try to go for is, you know, I've had many comments in the same respect to say that, you know, it's the one of the few Linux shows out there that you can just put on and have it play in the background where your family's around, young kids are around, and you don't have to worry about anything because you know it's going to be clean. Big Daddy Linux is my guest this hour on the Ask Noah Show. We're talking about community Linux. Hey, Big Daddy, are you okay taking a phone call? Sure. Why not? 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. You're on Ask Noah. What's on your mind? No, it's Chaz. Is it just me, or does this phone call feel brand spanking new for some reason? It feels brand spanking new. It feels like uh, it feels like you know when you when you when you uh, when you buy a new house and you go step out on the grass and you realize the grass is all yours because you paid off the mortgage and the grass just feels different. Feels like that. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, so first off, got to apologize. I again called Brad Steve for some reason last week. I know, just it just wasn't funny. It wasn't funny to make fun of him twice in a row, though. Ah, uh, yeah, good point. All right. Um, so anyway, this is kind of a variation, a theme of a discussion we've had in the past before. So as you know, pretty much every social network is terrible for uh, security, whether it's Facebook or Google Plus or any of the other usual suspects. Sure. But I've still got friends who say, oh, let's just use this app for communication. And they look at me funny when I say, well, no, that app's not really secure. We should probably be using Signal or something like that. So my question to you is, do you think, uh, do you think they'll ever get to, do you think people will ever get to the point where they value their security and their privacy enough so that apps like Signal and Proton, Proton Mail or things like that become the mainstream as opposed to, you know, just stuff for you and me. And what do you think that event would be if things like Cambridge Analytica from Facebook and the Google Plus uh, data breach can't convince people of that fact? I'll, uh, I'll let my guests go first. Big Daddy Linux, what are your thoughts? Are people ever going to care enough about security and privacy that they're going to make a change? I would love to think that at some point um, people will think about privacy more to the point where they make a change. I don't know what it'll take to get there because with, you know, as you said, the Cambridge thing, and there's been many others too. It's not just that. Uh, I, I just have people in a general sense today where, and I'm not talking the educated user, I'm talking the regular person that just opened social media. I don't think it will get to that point where they'll wanna make a change until it's too late. I'm inclined to agree with you. I would say that I, I'm a little bit more pessimistic. I, I guess my assumption would be that they're probably not going to change. In, you know, when we... When we go into IT consulting, we often talk about something called the sec the the, uh, the security triangle. And the security triangle, if you think of a triangle, has three parts to it. It has, or, and really we're just dealing with two, 
today, but it has security and it has convenience. And what you'll find is anytime you ask a, uh, a user if they want something to be more secure or more convenient, they're always going to choose for it to be more convenient because people are just naturally self-centered. And, and what it amounts to really is, if you think about it, uh, it's not really their problem if, if something gets hacked. It's, that's the IT's problem. And so the, you, what you'll find is any time you, you ask somebody to choose, they're going to they're err on the side of convenience, even if it means something being ridiculously insecure. And in IT, we fight that, right? We fight that in circles. You'll see, you'll go into a facility and you'll tell everybody, all right, we've got new password requirements. And uh, so now they have to be 14 characters and it has to contain a capital letter and it has to have an exclamation mark or special character and it has to have, you know, 15, you know, all this stuff. And what, what happens? We all know, right? We come in the next day and there are yellow post-it notes all over the monitors with people's passwords because it was too difficult for them to remember. So they just gave up and they decided that that was too secure and it was it was too inconvenient. And so they made it more convenient by just writing the password out. And, and one of the lessons that I have tried to lecture other companies on and even other IT companies with little to no success is sometimes we have to go ahead and take a step back from security it, to understand that if we make it too inconvenient, they're just not going to, these companies are not going to follow security practices anyway. And so we, you know, a, a insecure 10 character password that's all lowercase and, and doesn't have any special characters is still more secure than the 64 character password that has numbers and letters and all that stuff. But the guy has the password saved on his desktop in a text document called passwords.txt, right? I mean, the, you just, you have to look at those, you have to look at the picture holistically, get that 30,000 foot view and then make a decision. And so, but, you know, not, not to get too far away from your original point. No, I don't think that you're ever going to get people to care about their privacy. I don't think that you're ever going to really get normal people, average people to care about the security. I think that they log into Facebook and they like the fact they can see grandma's and grandpa's photos, that they like the fact that their sister or their brother or their, their kids post stuff of their, their babies. And, and, you know, if that stuff gets out, that stuff gets out. But Hey, at the end of the day, at least we can communicate with uncle Fred who we otherwise wouldn't see. And I think that any, any time you try to put that into a security apparatus, people go, forget it. I like looking at pictures of cute babies. I think it yeah, comes I'd agree down with you to, there. I mean, I would have, Sorry, go go uh, go ahead, Jess. Oh, go ahead. Okay, Big Daddy, it's you. Say how? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I. Did I lose you guys? No, you go ahead. You go ahead. All right. I was just going to say how I would have thought that something like Cambridge Analytica would have uh, been the catalyst that would have started getting people uh, off of insecure networks, but it doesn't seem that that's the case, and I'm. I agree with you guys. I think it's either never going to happen or it's not going to happen until apps start building that functionality in by default, or we see some sort of, you know, legislation that says, okay, you have to have this level of encryption in your products. And I don't need to tell you how I would feel about legislating morality. Right. Well, and then here's the other part to consider too, that we have to ask ourselves, you know, at the end of the day, we can make stuff as secure as we want to make it, but at the end of the day, Facebook and Google and Apple and, and all these other companies, have a, Amazon, have a vested interest in utilizing your private data to make money. And if we make it so secure that they're unable to do that, you, under, you undermine their fundamental funding model and you eliminate their ability to make a profit, thereby eliminating their ability to provide a 
quote unquote free service to you, right? So I mean that question has to be asked too. Where are you going to draw that line? Let's just say we secure all of this stuff so it's obviously it's not getting hacked. Nobody wants that to happen. But that's not going to stop Facebook from harvesting that data. It's not going to stop Google or Apple or Amazon from harvesting that data. That's something that they are going to continue to do and they must continue to do it in order to offer a price at with no money exchanged. So anyway, great call, Chaz. I appreciate the time. Again, uh, you, I, I, thanks a lot. You know, you were one of the first callers, I think, for the first couple episodes of Ask Noah. Now you're one of the first callers for uh, our independence indication. So we appreciate having you. Again, open phone lines, one 450 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Big Daddy Linux is my guest this hour. He is the host of Big Daddy Linux Live, or well, how did you pronounce it? A biddle. You you do say Biddle, okay? So it, uh, it Biddle, and you can join that Saturday. I think uh, one of these days I'm going to have to make an a, appearance and and come hang out. I hung out in there once and just kind of listened in. I wasn't uh, wasn't part of the discussion, but I was able I streamed it or, or or loaded it in Zoom. I can't recall which, but um, what I saw was a bunch of really honest, laid back Linux users. And one of the things that I want to compliment you on that I think you do a really excellent job of is uh, and and I include myself and people that don't do this very well. You're never in show mode. You, you, you're never in show mode. You're never, uh, you know, trying to, again, push an agenda or move anything forward, anything like that. It's just a, it's just a welcoming, very welcoming environment for anybody to show up and just kind of hang out. And I think that's something that even I don't do very well. You know, if I get a caller that's kind of dragging me down or if there's something that's pulling off topic, you know, I'll, I'll dump it and move on. I've been criticized for that a little bit, but at the end of the day, you know, I've, the end product is the show here, whereas I think your end product is to provide a really great experience for those that join you. And so I think that's really unique and and, and not being covered. So I, I just want to commend you for, for taking the time to do that. But I want to ask, where did the inspiration come from? Because for a long time, I thought it was something that you had just spun off from Destination Linux. By the way, I should mention, um, Big Daddy Linux was one of the creators of Destination Linux. He's since moved on to doing uh, bigger and better things. But I, I thought that Big Daddy Linux Live was something that had spun up. And then you corrected me, said, no, 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 this is something I've been doing for, for, for a really long time and plan to continue to do for a long time to come. Where did the inspiration come from to do that? Well, originally, it started out with me trying to do a first live stream. And if you go back on my YouTube channel, you'll see the first episode of Big Daddy Linux, and it was a terrible, no, as a matter of fact, don't go back and look at that episode because it was terrible. It was just me showing off a distro, actually. And what I wanted to get to was to have people come on and talk about the distro that I was using at the time because I would stream from that distro. And then the following week, I would install another distro and I would stream from that one. And uh, it went about four or five episodes, and then we started uh, just skipping the whole distro thing. And I actually, uh, I forget what service I was using um, to start it out with, but we had our first live chat, and there was like six people on. And it was just a bunch of people that had watched my channel before, and you know, I invited them on, and we started talking. And it went for, I think, three and a half hours. Wow. So as time went on, we, I think it turned into Friday night live because I was trying to find the best day, the best day, the best time. And we moved it to Saturday. Uh, it was at 1030 because we have listeners and view. We have people that join Biddle 
from Australia, from the UK, uh, from all over the place. So you're trying to get that perfect sweet spot, and there's not really a certain sweet spot there, yeah. but trying to get the best for them. And uh, now, like I said, it's at nine o'clock, and we just have a great time talking. Oh, that's fantastic. That, and I tell you, as somebody else who has struggled with that that time connection, trying to find a day and a time that works for people on both sides of the ponds, man, I tell you what, if you found a sweet spot, it is indeed a sweet spot. Again, chatting with my friend uh, Big Daddy Linux from Biddle, the live stream community hangout that happens on Saturday night. We'll take another call at 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. You can join us by email, live at asknoahshow.com. You're on Ask Noah. What's on your mind? That's you. Go for Hello. it. Yep, that's you. Go for it. Uh, no, I was just wondering uh, your opinion on uh, the, uh, uh, like, KDE shutting down pseudo for apps as a security reason. Isn't we supposed to have an open uh, system and where we should be allowed to be stupid if we want? Yeah, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think we've actually talked about this once before on the show. They have replaced that. There's uh, There's a... Uh, Another app, I can't, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it has the ability to, to elevate permissions um, for, for applications in KDE. And it's, it's one of those things where I, you know, I'm never going to tell a, uh, I'm never going to tell a Linux developer, I'm never going to tell a community, a Linux community that they're doing something wrong. I think every community should have the freedom and should strive to try something new. And, uh, and if it works out, the market will show that if it doesn't work out, people are going to flee your distro or in this case, your desktop environment. So no, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's worth trying, you know, maybe we'll learn something. I remember one of the first times I ever used Linux, the very concept of using pseudo privileges, rather than being able to just log in as root, because actually it was in Fedora. They, they made that change where you could no longer log in as root and had to do everything through elevating permissions. And it took me a little bit to get the hang of it because I was so used to just when I wanted to do something, I would just run the computer as root and it was a bad idea. And because the distro, the people, distro designers were wiser than my, at the time, you know, 14, 15 year old self, whatever it was at Fedora core one, uh, because they were wiser than me and because they knew better and had a plan, th uh, they taught me how to be a more secure Linux user. And so I just adapted with time. So I don't know. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's okay. 1-855-450-NO. It's 855-450-6624. You're on Ask Noah. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, Noah. A uh, couple of questions. A uh, quick one. As a fellow KDE user, I occasionally get a, get it to have a little glitch. And uh, uh, for some reason, it'll hang up uh, and uh, the taskbar won't work uh, and clicking on the uh, launcher doesn't work. Uh, is there a way to uh, re restart uh, Plasma? Do you have uh, an NVIDIA card by chance? And negative. This one is uh, Intel uh, graphics. Man, and it's and so what? So you're you're just you you're just going along, and all of a sudden your your KDE desktop kind of kind of gives out on you. Uh, yeah, ba uh, basically, uh, uh, I think it has uh, has to do uh, sometimes with uh, uh, possibly uh, if I if I'm clicking around and uh, the mouse moves uh, some an element uh, from off of a uh, the DOM. On, on a Chrome web page, somewhere uh, on, uh, towards the taskbar, uh, I think that's when it happens. 
and it just kind of glitches and it stays like that uh, for 15, 20 minutes or so. And then all, you know, then all, uh, even the clock stops. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, eventually it springs to life and everything I've clicked on and tried to do uh, starts running amok. I know this is going to I know this is going to sound like such a stupid question and I apologize for even asking it. I should know better than to than to question a felloner, but I just I have to ask. You're 110% sure that there's no Nvidia graphics card in that computer. I am 110% sure. Thing, uh, I I have ex- a, a started off life as a Samsung laptop. I have ex- uh, I have experienced no, uh, aftermarket video card in it. I have experienced that exact same issue and I mean exactly down to the clock stop stopping to work um but it, for me it has always been an nvidia problem and uh the solution i well there is no real so i haven't found a solution yet i just put up with it and, and reload the death just log out and log back in and the desktop bounces yeah. and then it then it comes back big daddy linux i don't suppose you've seen this uh i have seen this exact same thing i've had this happen to me i don't have an answer uh but it has been on an nvidia uh system so uh <laughs> This is something that the it actually sometimes it will cause the loop of um, it'll let you back in, but the panel won't be responsive at all, and you'll go to try to log out and you can't, and there's no way to shut it down except do a hard reset. So I don't have an answer. The chat, no, uh, chat room is saying chat room is saying uh, K start uh, plasma sh- uh, K start space plasma shell. Um, so yeah, that's that's not exactly the way to do it, uh, but there is a way to restart Plasma, and I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Oh, great! You want to tell us? Well, there's multiple. There's there's like a a, two, a separate section where the latest version of Plasma Five has changed what you're supposed to do. So it's better just to have like the link because it's two different commands you need to put back to back. Sounds good. Sounds good. And that's uh, Michael Tanell from Tux Digital joining us in our interactive mumble room. You can join there as well. Actually, that's also where um, Big Daddy Linux is joining us as well. So uh, thanks, Michael. I appreciate you jumping in there. Um, yeah. but- I've, got a next- I've got another one if you've got the time. Absolutely, sir. How can we help? Uh, so I tried reaching out to uh, one of your sponsors, uh, Simple Help. Because uh, I'm interested, I'm doing the same sort of thing you're you're doing, okay. and uh, uh, I really wanted to get rid of that horrible, horrible uh, cluster <clears throat> that is a Team Viewer. <laughs> and I reached out to him to, <laughs> to see what kind of hardware uh, or requirements it is uh, for uh, for their software, and I haven't heard anything back because I'd like to do it on some sort of hosted cloud service like uh, either a Droplet. Or uh, one of the other, uh, I forget the uh, Linode or something like that. Yeah. Um. As far as I mean, uh, let me look here. So our uh, we're doing exactly that. We're hosting it on a on a cloud thing of sorts, and uh, it's it it is most certainly not. No, I broke my shell here. It is certainly yeah. So it's it's running on a it's running on a single core, twenty gigabytes of uh, storage space, five hundred twelve megabytes of RAM. So it's it's that's it essentially really all the simple help quote unquote server is doing. It's really just brokering a connection, right? So your client, whatever you install the agent on, is pings in that server says, "Here I am, here I am. Here's a UDP port. Connect to me if you need me. Here I am." And it and it just checks in once every minute or so. And uh, then the technician console goes and says, "Hey, give me a list of all the people that checked in." And so then the server responds and goes, "Well, here's all the people that have checked in, and here's the guys that they've missed their heartbeat, as we call it. And so you might want to check on those guys. I haven't seen them in a while. And when you go to establish a connection, you go and double click on the machine you want in the technician console, 
And on the uh, server end, it'll say, okay, give me a UDP port that we can pass through the firewall so we don't have to do any firewall magic. And, uh, and then it will, then the, the connection is actually between the technician, the encrypted connection between the technician console and that remote agent. And so that they're direct. Um, and where that's super advantageous is we work at a, uh, at a large client. They've got hundreds and hundreds of machines. Um, but they're all on site. They're all inside of one network. And so the ability to, I, I wouldn't want it going out over the internet and coming back in. That would be, that would be terrible. It's way, way better for us to establish a local LAN connection. And of course, then we get all of the great things that come with having a direct gigabit connection. Um, so yeah, you don't need anything super, uh, super robust. I just have the, I have CentOS 7, latest version of CentOS 7 running. Um, I just have that running on a on a uh, OVH uh, deal for two thirty five a month or some something. Yeah, I was looking to uh, uh, to uh, build a new uh, a new workstation for myself, and you know, I didn't want to also have to put up for a server or anything like that. So, you know, it's it's nice to know that I you know uh, I was figuring in a pinch I might have to run it on my own machine and uh, host it out. Uh, through the firewall and it wasn't really something I really had uh, wanted to do. But uh, thanks, Noah. You have yourself a good one. Yeah, you too, sir. Thanks a lot. Again, phone lines 855-450-6624. Are you, take, are you okay taking a couple more calls, uh, Big Daddy? Sure. I, uh, I appreciate having you. It's, it's kind of great to, what are you using for remote, uh, for remote access? Are you, are you a team viewer guy? Are you a VNC guy? Played with the symbol I... at all? I don't really have any reason to have, to mess with TeamView or anything like that, so that's kind of out of my league. Yeah, and I mean to be fair about it, I actually really I don't really have a problem with TeamViewer. My only issue, my my issues with TeamViewer come down to two. One is their sales department screwed me at a very very vulnerable time. I I had I reached out to him, said we have a large client, we're going to manage them entirely remotely. It was the first client we were doing that represented a large capital interest to us. They said, go ahead and try TeamViewer for 30 days. If you like it, then you can go ahead and buy license. We made it like eight hours into that into that, uh, into that that 30 days, and they shut us down because there were too many simultaneous connections or something. And uh, and I just got mad and went to Simple Help, and it's been so great. I've, I've not looked back since. Matt calls from Arizona. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello, Noah. And by the way, may I, may I say that it is fantastic that you folks in the central Arizona, uh, the central time zone, have moved to a same time. Now I can call you after work. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so I, I installed Fedora 28 the other day and went through the, the steps of updating it to Fedora 29. And now I can't even log into the system. I go to enter my password and it locks up as soon as I hit login. Bro, are you using Wayland? To recover is a hard reset. Are you using Wayland? No, uh, at least I don't think I am. Man, okay. And so we're KDE. So we're on KDE. We're on. You said you're on twenty nine, or you're trying to upgrade to twenty nine. I have completed the twenty nine upgrade. I went through. I, I downloaded. I updated the the twenty eight system. Downloaded the twenty nine uh, software. Did DNF uh, system update reboot. And was able to get back into the system after that, but since then, since shutting down the system after that initial reboot, I have not been able to get back in. Did you use DNF uh, or did you use FedUp to to upgrade from one version to the other? Uh, is that the, the GUI application? 
No, it's uh, no, it's a command line. Uh, so it would be, it's like it, the command syntax would be. And I'm not in front of a computer. You know, I'm not do. I don't do this terribly often, but it's something like fed up space tac tac network space twenty three or whatever the next version you want to go. To, in your case, twenty nine, I guess. And uh, no, it was all through DNF. Okay, so I would. So here's the thing. I actually just got done helping a, a buddy of mine. In fact, I have, I'm guessing he's probably listening. He he gave me a call and he's like, yeah, I need some help updating my system. I log into the thing and it's like, it's Fedora 21, I think. And I was like, oh, dear goodness. How, oh, oh man, this is going to be fun. I'll be darned if we didn't get that thing, that sucker up to date. And we just went one at a time, network 22, network 23, network 24. And, and so we just, we, we worked, worked our way up. And not that we never ran into an issue along the way um, and, to, to that extent, so that that would be step one is try using FedUp and see if from the command line you can instead of uh, instead of just doing it straight through DNF if if FedUp will take care of something that DNF is missing and maybe they do the same thing. I guess I don't know exactly how the back end of that works. I just know that I I just recently did this and started from twenty one. So your situation sounds infinitely less less complex. But the other thing I might try if you have time, Matt, is re when you reboot, you should be able to boot into Fedora 28, right, in the bootloader? Uh, oh, I, I think I probably should be able to. I haven't, I haven't tried booting into that yet. Yeah, if you, you should be able to do I'll that. Do and if you get home. Yeah, and yeah, well, yeah. Well, when you get home, when it's safe to do so, obviously, don't do this while you're driving or anything. But uh, when when you get a chance, uh. <laughs> where I listen, I just never know. Um, when you get a chance, take a look at that and see if when you boot into 28, if you can rerun the upgrade script and see if that goes. Uh, I will see if I can do that. Big Daddy, you got anything to add or any thoughts? No, it sounds like a uh, NVIDIA Wayland issue to me. Yeah, that's what I thought, but when he said that he was on X, I... It, it, well. You know, I, I don't know if I have the NVIDIA hardware because it's uh, it's all on, on the main board. Uh, I think it's an Intel system, but, I you know, I could be entirely wrong. Yeah, I, uh, give it a shot. Take a look at it, Matt, and let us know. And uh, obviously, you're welcome to always give us a call back. We're we're here rather regularly on Tuesday nights. One eight fifty five four fifty Noah. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Max from Minnesota. Hey, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, sir. How can we help? Um. So. So I'm. I have a. I have a home lab, and um, I'm recently come across uh, two extra machines, um, and I kind of wanted to make sort of because right now I'm just have um, some some VMs running, but I would like to make like a like a VM cluster per se. Um, what would you do for the storage so I can move VMs across hosts without having to, say, change uh, config files? Mm, that's a great idea. Yeah, it's a fantastic idea. Um, fantastic idea. Um, so what I have, I, well, I guess I'll ask, Big Daddy Linux, you played with virtualization much? I have, I mean, I have a couple of VMs, uh, but I usually, well, what I end up doing is I ended up uh, buying an SSD drive and using that as a data drive, and that's where I keep them all. Nice. So you're running them all on one machine? Pretty much, yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm doing, Max, and uh, you let me know if this would work for you. I'm using uh, Vert Manager, and I'm using LibVertD. It's just a stock hypervisor that comes with Linux, and uh, you can install it in about 30 seconds or less just by uh, issuing a, like four or five commands. 
And one of the nice things that uh, LiveVertD will do for you is when you uh, when you click on the host, one of the things that you'll be able to do is under the information tab, you're able to choose uh, which hypervisor, which hypervisor host you want that virtual guest to exist on. And so you can essentially create a, um, a you can create, you can have like, I have a hypervisor at my house. I have one at work. We've got a cloud hypervisor that we run a lot of customer images on. And I can move those guests in between any one of those uh, any one of those virtual hosts that I want. I just right click on the guest. I click on migrate. I choose the, the new host I want it to go to and I click migrate and it will move uh, that entire VM guest from one hypervisor to the other. It'll do it seamlessly. And, and so the software will take care of all of that for you and you just do it in a nice little, in a nice little GUI. Now there obviously are ways um, to do that, like let's say you're going, you want to go like maybe from DigitalOcean onto your own infrastructure, from your own infrastructure back to DigitalOcean. There are ways using um, some conversion tools that you can convert a regular disk to a QCOW2 file. A QCOW2 file is the virtual storage unit that is used in most hypervisors, at least the good ones. And um, and so you're able to convert to. Sorry, go ahead. Um, so I was thinking, I'm doing exactly that with KVM, and um, I guess what I was wondering is, does that still work with, say, like an external storage, like my the VMs connecting to a NAS also on my infrastructure? Ah, I my, see. You know, my home lab. So you're not you're you're That's more concerned I, about I the. Guess st- I'm trying to say. Yeah, sure. So you're you're asking about the storage component, not necessarily the hosting component. Yes, yes, exactly. So I'll tell you how our our work one is probably most applicable to this situation. So the one that we have here actually at the shop is a it's a it's a virtual host, but we have another Dell R710 that all it is is our storage server. It just got loads and loads and loads of storage. And we actually run our storage server on FreeNAS and we have a ZFS pool because if you want a really good storage server, that's what you're using. You're using ZFS. And what we're doing, Max, is we actually have an NFS share from that that FreeNAS box over mounted on our virtual hypervisor. And what that allows us to do is it allows us to access, it allows us to store our VM images on ZFS, running on FreeNAS, and take advantage of all the things that ZFS has to offer without having to. With, and it's really not very complicated. As far as the virtual machine sees, it just knows that var slash, I forget the exact path, is whatever it is, but it just knows that that path is mounted, is a is an NFS mount, and our storage server just knows that it, it's being stored data. So th- that's a that's a pretty straight way, straightforward way to do that. And I see Brandon is in our interactive mumble room. Brandon, do you have anything to add to this conversation? Well, I didn't hear the question. <laughs> how would you how would you deal how what would your recommendation to a user that wants to that wants to use libvertd but wants to store their data on a separate machine or a separate separate storage array? So, I would probably do exactly what you said with uh you have two or more hypervisors attached to the same one. Uh so that you can do live migration between those hosts. Uh, so whether if it's iSCSI or, or NFS, it doesn't matter. Okay. So that's exactly how I do it. Awesome. So there's there's two votes in our direction, Max. Uh, does that help you out? Uh, yeah. And then one other quick thing. 
for say, so one of my VMs is a Plex uh, VM, and um, that is connected to my NAS that has all my media on it. Would that stop that from being able to to con- uh, you know to migrate to another host having that network share added in? Well, it's not going to stop you from migrating to another host, but obviously, if you're if you're let, let's say an, uh, have an NFS share to your Plex box that where your, all of your movies are stored, and you move that virtual guest to another host that doesn't have access to that same network, obviously your Plex system is going to break. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's what I needed. Okay. Great. Thanks for the call. Yep, no, thanks for the call. one 855 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email live at com. Our guest this hour is Big Daddy Linux, streaming at uh, Biddle. He streams live content every Saturday. You can join the conversation. If you, if somebody wanted to be a part of that uh, discussion, if somebody wanted to be a part of that program, do you, do you guys have a website or how do they join? Did we lose it? You can get more information on uh, the show at BigDaddyLinux.com, and that'll have all the links to YouTube and uh, the details and instructions for Zoom. Um, But the Zoom link will be in the YouTube description. It stays the same every week so that it's easy for everybody. And um, like I said, as long as you uh, keep it family-friendly and want to talk about Linux, come join us. Now, somebody is going to ask, so I'll just ask you on the air, why Zoom? Why not? Uh, why not a more free, you know whatever the term is more free and open source alternative? Why Zoom? Well, this goes back to even at the beginning of Destination Linux, where we have tried. I have tried pretty much every client, web browser add-on, uh, web browser uh, website, uh, every single one of them to try to get the same quality and the same settings. Uh, that the same control that Zoom gives you. And I didn't originally start out on Zoom. I actually in, started out on a website and appear.in was actually the website that I, we used to use when we first started Biddle. And um, it, there's just no comparison. Um, we have tried Jitsi. We have tried tons of every single open source or non-open source program we have tried. Uh, and we always come back to Zoom. Isn't it amazing how the rest of the community is always going to know how you should do your job better than you know how to do your job? I, I you know, and not, not, and I try to stay pretty positive on the show. So this is not, this is not meant to drag anything down or drag anyone through the mud or anything like that. But there was a time when I was, uh, when I was doing another podcast and we did a video show, and it was amazing how many people would write into the show as if. I, I was the dumbest person on the face of the planet, and obviously, if I only knew about this one tool that this person spent thirty seconds googling and you know and and came across, obviously that was the answer to all of all of our problems. And it was, you know, it's one of those things. It's like you, you just sit back and you're like, you don't think I saw? You don't think I know about that? You don't think I've tried that? You don't think we? You know, are, are you think we're that dumb? That I just that's one of those things that just really really grates on me. So I just I'll just ask you now because undoubtedly. <laughs> somebody out here is going to listen to this episode and go, well, if he, if he tried this piece of software, they, he would know that that works a lot better than zoom. And like you said, you've tried it. It's not that you're not willing or not able or, or too stupid to find another piece of software. It's you've tried it and you found that zoom is the best option out there. Well, we always, 
in the Biddle community, we always tell people, use what's best for you. Sure, sure. Okay. And again, I wish I could have back the amount of hours that I spent testing out other clients and programs. And it was just, it was a nightmare to test everything that was out there and then come up with nothing. And we, and like I said, we always ended up back on Zoom. So yeah, that question comes up pretty often, but all I can say is it works better than anything else. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, actually, uh, I agree. Oh, you were going to correct him and then you realized he was right? <laughs> no, I just, the whole time I was just going to agree anyway. Because Zoom is actually like probably the most reliable uh, thing I've used on Linux for this. Because I've, I've done it where you could record it for hours and it still is solid the entire time. Whereas I've had issues just j trying to join Jitsi and uh, just the microphone not even working. It's like, there's so many issues with pretty much everything else, and with Zoom, while they have some weird stuff for the most like for the the most important part of the reliability, it's fantastic. And and you good. It's the best out there, and I think part of the reason why you know it started out was video, the video aspect of it, and this goes back to Destination Linux too. The video aspect of the show is to me one of the most important things because people can actually connect with you. They get to the point where they know you even though they don't know you because they can connect with that person they see in front of the screen. So many people when I was uh, on Destination Linux wanted me to stop doing the video part and just do audio because it was um, it was too hard. Video is, <laughs> is a headache, it, it really is, but um, I think it's so important to be there and Zoom, like I said, has been the best. And so to your point, when we were looking at launching this show, one of the things that I just knew early on that we were just going to do is we just weren't going to include camera style video elements. And it's not that I'm not smart enough or don't have or am too lazy or anything like that. It's just that the amount of work to produce a proper video show is literally 10 to 15 times what it is to produce an audio show. And it would fundamentally limit my ability to, to, to go do things on location. You know, when, when I used to do last to be able to do last the way we did last required three Pelican cases full of equipment. We'd have to ship them, you know, a week ahead of time. And, uh, and then we would have to try to assemble all of this stuff. It would take about an hour and a half to set up and an hour and a half to tear down. I've gotten it down to now I can, and I have literally when I was in Minneapolis and forgot my laptop, I've done a show with the borrowed laptop and my cell phone and a headset that plugs into my cell phone. And we, I would venture, I would put the audio quality of that show, that particular episode against any episode that we've ever done or any episode that anybody else has ever done because we have honed our process around audio only and that's just something you can't do with video but to both of your credit i mean at the end of the day the zoom client runs on linux right it runs yeah. on linux and it also runs on uh phones so you can connect to biddle on your phone if you'd like to yeah and it's uh, not not the best audio but right right yeah and yeah and so to that point and let me save you a headache if you're going to join biddle do yourself the courtesy, have the respect for the show, have the respect for your own name to spend the $15 to get a USB headset and use it. Don't, don't try and connect with your, with your laptop microphone. Don't try and connect with your, your cell phone mic, spend the 10, 15 bucks, get yourself a little Logitech USB headset. Everybody will thank you and you'll sound a lot better. But again, go to your point, back to the video thing, you know, we know that less than 7% of any given message is communicated with just words. And 55% uh, 
is communicated through nonverbal elements, and then there's something like 38% is, is with certain vocal elements, so inflection, stuff like that. But the vast majority of communication is nonverbal, is, is things that we see. And so your ability to connect with Zoom really fundamentally gives that show a different feel, I think. Yeah, it really makes um, the show complete to me, where you can, like I said, you, we have different users from all walks of life. And to see everybody, uh, it's amazing to connect with people that way. You know, it's not just you're not just chatting with somebody on a uh, chat program, or you're not just hearing somebody on a phone or on a show, you're seeing somebody you're interacting with them. I think it's awesome. Absolutely. Well, Big Daddy Linux, BigDaddyLinux.com on Twitter at Big Daddy Linux. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here on the Ask Noah show. We'll get you back on the program real soon. Awesome, Noah. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Feel free to continue to hang out in the mumble room. You're more than welcome. Again, 855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at AskNoahShow.com. So I want to talk about um, a new development in the Linux in mobile space. We've got just a couple minutes left in the hour, but this is an important story. I want to make sure that we have some time to get to it. So I want to take you back um, a couple of years, back to 2017. And... Uh, when they when the Samsung released the Galaxy S8, they also released an accessory called the Samsung Dex, DE capital X. And what it was was a docking station essentially that gave you a modified Android desktop experience and you had full access to all of your apps, save documents, your ability to reply to text messages, everything. But you got all of that on your phone with a much bigger screen and the and the ability to interact with all of these things with a traditional keyboard and mouse. So the Samsung DeX effect, uh, essentially offered all of the I.O. that you needed to get a desktop experience uh, on your cell phone. And obviously, one of the reasons for that, one of the things that they were aiming for, one of the things that they were moving towards was the fact that phones are getting insanely powerful. They're getting to the point where you have a miniature computer in your pocket and people just are not taking advantage of the incredible amount of computing power that they have in their pocket. And now with the advent of USB-C, you plug a single cable in there and you can get Ethernet and HDMI and regular USB and, and, and a monitor and all of those kinds of things. So, and Samsung is not the first company to try to do this, right? We have seen all sorts of companies, everything from Motorola to Microsoft to Canonical. A bunch of people have tried to get the desktop experience on the phone. What these companies are learning is something that we said from day one on the Ask Noah show. A proper mobile experience makes for a really crappy desktop experience. And a really fantastic desktop experience is a very poor uh, mobile experience. So, uh, we, you know, what you have to have is you have to have a mobile experience that has the ability to transform into a proper desktop experience when you've connected the, the requisite uh, peripherals. And so that's what Samsung is trying to do here. And what they have found was that it was reasonably successful. People were kind of taking off with it. Didn't quite have the adoption, I think, that they would have liked it to have, but you know, it's not everybody that is saying, well, I'm getting rid of my laptops and going to phones. But when you look at what the market is doing, the desktop market, and when I say the desktop market, I mean traditional desktop users and laptop users, and that can be on Windows, Mac OS, or Linux, but all three of those, that market is declining. And more and more people are turning to their smart device, their smartphone or their tablet as their primary computing device. And I am starting to run into this in the field with clients. They're saying, hey, you know what? I don't really need a computer. I don't really, really need a laptop. I'm fine with just my laptop 
with just my cell phone. So what what can these companies that make these laptops and cell phones do to further capitalize on that? Well, the answer is make them more useful. And so they started to ask, what is it that people continually go back from this device that they are otherwise happy with and go back to the laptop, go back to the desktop? And you know what they found? Developers. Developers go back to the laptop and go back to the desktop. So then Samsung started to ask, well, why is that exactly? Because the ARM chips that are in these phones are actually fairly powerful. People like Linus Torvalds himself are very excited about the future of the ARM platform and would like to do some of their work on ARM. Similarly, you see companies that are building laptop docks essentially for the Raspberry Pi. You see other companies like the Pinebook that are developing ARM-based laptops. So there are developers that are interested in using ARM architecture. Why aren't they using Samsung DeX? The answer was simple. Linux. Developers want Linux. And developers had continually said they wanted Linux, and it's why every company in the world is starting to respect that. Google looked around and saw a bunch of MacBooks and said, you know what we need to do? We need to make Linux available on Chrome OS. And so they did. And what did they find? A bunch of developers said, hey, I could actually do my work on a Chromebook if it had access to Linux. If you talk to Google employees, what you find is all of their tooling is based around the Chrome web browser. And so as long as it has the ability to run some basic Linux commands and they have access to a proper shell and some of their development tools and the ability to SSH into a powerful Linux box to do compiling of code and those kinds of things, there's nothing wrong with a Chromebook to do development. Then you look over at what Dell is doing. They looked up and said, hey, we can compete in this market too. Instead of trying to make cheap, crappy Linux computers, what if we made the creme de la creme end all be all Linux laptop? And so they released the XPS. What happened? Sold like wildfire. Went back to the sales department and said, what are we going to do with this information? They said, all right, hardware enable everything under Linux. And so if you go to Dell now, with the exception of like two computers that were custom built for some stupid thing, Every computer that you buy from Dell comes with the hardware, hardware enablement stack for Linux. You can use it. And all of these companies together have a cumulative effect because now they're starting to push updates and starting to work with projects like FW Update to get those firmware updates rolled into your package manager. And they're providing real competition to essentially what was the was the only draw to something like the the Crapbook Pro, which was the fact that some developers could use it if you replace the okay enough terminal that was in it. So Samsung looks and says, everybody has our devices, or at least a lot of people have our devices, and developers are interested in, in developing on our architecture. We gave them a desktop platform. They're not using it. And what everybody else has told us is that it's because Linux is, is missing. So from... Uh, this is from uh, this is from uh, nine to five Google. Uh, th this article outlines how Samsung has released a app essentially for the S. I think it's the S nine and the Note Tab four. It looks like, and it's called Linux on Dex. And the idea of Linux on Dex, as you might imagine, is it allows you to run a full blown Linux operating system right on your tablet or phone. And this is not a this is not to be confused with like some hypervisor, some virtual thing that uh, that you know you can you can hack on to the phone. No, 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 no. This is like legitimately they are working with Canonical to release 
they, they have a partnership with Canonical to get a special modified version of Ubuntu that will run on your on your Samsung device if you have this Dex cable or Dex dock. And this, I mean, I got to tell you guys, this is huge. This is fantastic. So the beta is uh, available to open, and we'll have a link for you in the show notes if you want to sh- if you want to uh, sign up. Uh, the beta or to sign up, I think you can do it until December 14th, it looks like. So you want to make sure to head over to podcast.asknoahshow.com slash 101 and, uh, and make sure to sign up if you want to participate with this. Obviously, you're going to have to have a Galaxy Note 9 or a Tab S4. Those are the two devices that are supported. Um, but but this, I think this might be the first legitimate actual desktop release of Linux in the mainstream that has a real chance of moving forward. And it's not because I think people are suddenly going to wake up and say, oh my gosh, Linux is so great. No, I don't think that that's the case at all. But I very much think that there is a business owner out there. I think that there are traveling salesmen out there. I think there are people like me who are geeks and they look down and say, hey, I, I need to buy a new phone. Well, this phone, this tablet, this whatever, this smart device, I can purchase it and I can run an operating system that I trust. Because at the end of the day, both iOS and Android have advantages and disadvantages, and it just comes down to which devil you prefer. I don't trust either of them. But man, I would trust a custom version of Canonical Ubuntu running on it. Absolutely, I would. Encrypt that sucker with Lux, put my data on it all day long, I would. I'd come here, do my show prep on it, on my phone, plug it into my deck stock I'd put here in the studio. I use the heck out of that thing. I already have a call in with my, my cell phone rep and I, well, t- Telegram, not call, but I s- sent him a message say, hey, I need to pick one of these suckers up. So let me know when we can do some business. Uh, I absolutely have to play with this because this is fantastic. This is really cool. And I think that some of those business owners, I think that some of those traveling sales guys, I think people like me are going to look at this thing and go, you know what? This is a really useful productivity tool. The ability to plug the special cable in, plug into a doc, even if it's nothing more than just being able to type documents. That's fantastic for me. And I'll tell you where the evidence of this is. I can tell you how you can prove this walking through any airport in America in just 30 seconds. Walk into any airport you like and look at anybody using a tablet. And what there's one accessory that every one of them has. An external keyboard and sometimes a Bluetooth paired mouse. Every one of them will have that. And the reason is because when you go to do work, all of the apps are there, the software infrastructure is there, the cloud infrastructure is there. All of those things are are there and ready to work. But the one thing that's missing, proper input, proper input control. And so the ability to expand up to a, you know, you put it, plug it into a 27 inch monitor, the ability to have a proper keyboard, a proper mouse, that's a game changer. And the fact that Linux is, is, is on the, is on the bleeding edge of this, the fact that all of these, all of these people that work at Samsung are acknowledging that Linux is the way to get these people in and they're going to push to a developer market, a market that is that likes playing with stuff, tinkering with stuff, that can utilize Linux and bring out its full potential, that has massive, massive implications. Massive implications. And by the way, just because uh, I like saying I told you so, when is, uh, when is iOS going to release Linux for iOS? Since I keep hearing from everybody that uh, Apple is the best friend to, uh, to those who really value open source privacy and Linux. Don't think that's coming. Hey guys, did you know this episode is available as a downloadable podcast? To subscribe to the feed or or download the latest episode, visit podcast.asknoahshow.com. There you'll find not only the latest episode, but all of the articles and material referenced in this episode. 
You can get the latest, of course, by following us on Twitter at AskNoahShow. Huge thanks to Simon Quigley filling in for Call Screener. We'll be back next Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central, AskNoahShow.com. Oh, 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 o